Welcome to another inspirational message from Chowdean Community Church, Gateshead. For more information about Chowdean, visit www.chowdean.org.uk. We hope you enjoy the podcast. waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. Therefore, he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshippers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. Then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him. And some said, what does this babbler want to say? Others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Archipelagos, saying, May we know what is this new doctrine of which you speak? For you are bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore we want to know what these things mean. For all the Athenians and foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or hear some new thing. Thank you, Seth. So we're still looking at the Book of Acts. We've been working our way through the Book of Acts for this year. And as we've worked our way through, we've learned some really dramatic events. We've had the ascension of the Lord Jesus into heaven. We've had the coming of the Holy Spirit with great drama, tongues of fire, violent winds, thousands of people being saved, then miracles of healing, people miraculously released from prison, some folks struck dead in the church service, Miraculous appearing of the Lord Jesus on the Damascus Road. We've had visions, we've had shipwrecks. You name it, it's all in there. And it's a book filled with activity. Hence the name Acts. We've had travel, we've had adventure, we've had drama, we've had miracles. And then we come to these few verses. And I thought, well, nothing happens. What can I say about this? I thought, there's some narrative, there's a bit of reported speech. There's not a lot of action. What am I going to say? But then, you know, I think the Lord just dropped into my mind. You know, when you go to the opticians and you put those heavy metal frames on your face and the drop lenses in like that and they'll say, can you see it now? Is that any clearer? Is that any help? And you realize that then you can actually see a lot more clearly. So I felt the Lord was saying, you know, read it again, have another look at it, then you'll see it a bit more clearly. So I thought, yes, oh yes, now I can see it. I'll do, yes, I've got it now. So, this title, Estue Obfuscation. Anybody know what Estue? It's definitely English. I can tell, I can guarantee this is English. Anybody know what Estue Obfuscation means? No. <laughs> I'm sure if John Bates had been here, he would have known. But what it means is abstain from complication, keep it simple. Eschew obfuscation. Keep it simple. D- 
D.L. Moody was a great preacher, and he was used to speaking to crowds of thousands. And he said, sermons should be given in a language that any small child can understand. And Billy Graham, who was another great preacher, said, that is the only way I know how to do it. We must learn to take the profoundest things of the gospel and proclaim them in simplicity. We must communicate so people understand. So preach it with simplicity. That was one of the secrets of our Lord. The common people heard him gladly because he spoke their language. Now, when I was 57, I retrained at Newcastle College to teach English to foreign students. And I worked at Gateshead College. And I loved the job and I loved the students. Often I was given a pre-entry class, which means the students then were illiterate either because they had no education in their own country or that had an Arabic script, so they weren't familiar with the alphabet. So you just had to start with simply learning the alphabet. You have to teach adults in a different way to the way that you would teach children. So you had to make it very simple and start with the alphabet. So looking at this bit of the Bible, I thought, I can do simple. We'll just go step by step. And we'll also try to keep it short, short and simple. Because I heard a story of a visitor who went into church and he just came in late and the sermon had started. So he was a bit fidgety. And then he leaned to a man sitting next to him and he said, how long has he been preaching for? And the man said, oh, about 30 or 40 years. He said, oh, I'll hang on, then he must be nearly finished. <laughs> and then there was the other chap who was invited to speak at Yale in America. And he decided to speak on Y-A-L-E. So he spoke for 30 minutes on Y youth. 30 minutes on A for ambition, 30 minutes on L for loyalty, and 30 minutes on E for energy. And somebody said it was a good job he wasn't speaking at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. <laughs> so we're going to look first of all at where Paul was. And we might just need to use our God-given imaginations here to picture the scene. He was in Athens. Picture that. Blue skies, the sunshine, the heat, the white shining buildings. And this was the university city of the ancient world, filled with magnificent sculptures and works of art. And everywhere there were objects that expressed the Athenians' love of beauty. Art, literature, religion, science, that was the stuff that Athens was made of. It was the native home of great men like Socrates and Plato, the adopted home of Epicurus, Pythagoras, Archimedes, and even the Romans who'd conquered the entire world, they allowed Athens to remain a free city because of their illustrious past. And as Paul wandered around here, he must have thought about the heights of achievement that men can reach and still be ignorant of God. Democracy, parliament, all originated in Greece, but for all their learning and for all their wealth, they were spiritually bankrupt. They had created gods on Mount Olympus, gods in their own image, gods who were often savage and immoral. And as he wandered through the streets, looking at all these temples and the statues of the gods with no purity, no mercy, no hope of saving anyone, he must have realized afresh that human knowledge and intellect, in fact, genius really there, was not helping them to find God. In fact, it was taking them further away from the truth. Philosophy didn't have the answers. Science was confusing. Religion offered no hope, and the law could do nothing to change the human heart. And remember, Paul's on his own here. Nobody else with him they hadn't got there yet. 
all of this splendor, all of this education, all of this wealth. And, you know, if it was us, we might have been tempted to think, hmm, not much I can do here then. But not Paul. You know, he was confident of what he believed. And this first verse says, he was greatly distressed. And in the original language, the word is roused to anger. Not anger against the people, but anger against the devil who managed to deceive such clever people. And everywhere Paul looked, there were idols. The city was full of idols. And he knew that the first and second commandment said, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord, am a jealous God. And here there were idols to every aspect of life. Now, the Apostle Paul was himself an educated man. He could speak Greek. I mean, Derek always claimed he knew a little Greek. Got a shop on Courtswith Road, that's right, isn't it? <laughs> and he could appreciate all these works of art and the philosophical debates, but the sight of intelligent men worshipping idols just filled him with anger. Now, I don't suppose that any of us have got idols at home that we bow down and worship, but an idol is anything that we prize above God, anything that absorbs our affection more than God. Now, an idol can be a relationship, it can be a person, a career, money, shopping. I mean, look at the Metro Centre. I wonder what the Apostle Paul would have thought if he was wandering around there. Television, social networks, celebrities, and it could even be the church. And I know I've been guilty of that one myself, of making the work that you do in the church more important than God himself, and that's a, that can become an idol. Anything that gets your attention more than God becomes an idol. When J. John was speaking at Lobley Hill, I remember clearly on the last night, he spoke about putting God first. And that was first in your finance, first in your interests, first in your relationships, first in your schedule, and first in your troubles. First, always putting God first in everything. Because let's be honest, if you can make your own God, then it will be a God that you control and a God that will do what you want. A flexible God that lets you just do whatever you want and then you can just say, oh, well, I felt led to do it. And how about a God who promises to bless his children but never disciplines them? A God you can keep in his place until you need him. A God who is not supreme but offering many ways to heaven. All false and all idols. This is not our God and this is not the God that Paul knew. An idol could even be a hobby. Now, there's nothing wrong with hobbies. In fact, a hobby can be a really good thing, provided it doesn't become all-consuming. Colin and I in the summer had a week in Harrogate, and we went to a vintage steam fair, you know, the big traction engine rallies, massive things. It was huge, and they had these huge sort of like steam engines and steam rollers, and there was, there was vintage cars, and there was vintage tractors, and there was vintage bikes, there was even vintage lawnmowers. And all of them were lovingly polished, you know, and the brass on them was gleaming, and they were, and I'm thinking, fascinating. But all the amount of money and the time that it was taken transporting these great big things from one place to another, I thought, it must take a tremendous amount of time and money to have that kind of a hobby. Now, my husband's hobby is golf. But it's not all-consuming, I have to say. I mean, it's a hobby, and he enjoys it, but it's not all-consuming. And I played golf at Wrighton last week with Colin. 
And you know, I got there in 75 shots. And next time I go, I'm going to try for the second hole. <laughs> now, we're on to the second verse. Paul doesn't display anger or start shouting that they're all going to hell because that wouldn't help anybody. But neither is he going to let an opportunity go by. First, he reasons with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks in the synagogue. Now, these were people who believed in the right God and tried to live by the Jewish laws, but they were trying to please God by being good. They were trying to earn their salvation by observing religious rituals and regulations, perhaps a step closer than the idol worshippers, but still missing the point. Now, I expect that Paul explained to them that now that the Lord Jesus, the long-awaited Messiah, had come, there was no need for keeping the rules and regulations because being right with God was by faith and not by the law. Recently, I've had a lot of dental work done, and I thought, you know, that little mirror that the dentist puts in your mouth, it shows up all the flaws and the cavities, but it's absolutely powerless to do anything about it. The mirror can show up where the problems are, but it can't do anything about them. It can't drill, it can't extract teeth, and something more powerful is required. Now, the commandments of God can show us where we go wrong, but they're powerless to put us right before God. And Paul expressed this in Romans chapter 7, where he said, I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man am I. You know, he just wanted to do good, but no matter how hard he tried, he was always going to have this inner nature. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we're not told here how the message was received, but Paul now turns his attention to the people outside in the marketplace. And again, just imagine the scene. The marketplace, the Agora, was the centre of life in Athens. All around were the temples, the statues, the public buildings, the centres of culture and learning. And here's Paul on his own, reasoning with the crowd. On his own, yes, but filled with the Holy Spirit. And as we can see, verse 21 says that all the Athenians and the foreigners, all the people who lived there, spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. So I guess they were just willing to listen to anybody because everything to them was just a nine-day wonder. But some Epicurean and Stoic philosophers appeared on the scene. Now, Epicureans believed that indulgence was the key to life and that pleasure was good. Eat, drink, and be merry. You know, fine food, good wine, live for today. They denied the existence of life after death. I've just paid for my own funeral plan, and the co-op have recently carried out a study into funeral trends. Many of them are a celebration of a person's life, which is good, but no mention is made of their future destination. And one in ten now include no religion at all. The Stoics, on the other hand, were fatalist. Virtue was the supreme good. Men should be above passion, unmoved by joy or grief, pleasure or pain. In other words, indifference was the key to life. Both schools of thought were men's attempts to make sense of life. And looking at the world around us today, I think we've got much in common. The Athenians are people who had all the material good things but still searching for true meaning. And just like society today, Paul preached to them the good news about Jesus and the resurrection, 
Paul wrote, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Paul was passionate about what he knew to be the truth, and whether he was in the synagogue or in the marketplace or before the venerable council in the Areopagus, before men of great power and respect, there was no hesitation in speaking the amazing good news about Jesus and the resurrection. What could he say to convince these people of the truth? It seems that many of them were already dissatisfied with their man-made gods. Now, I need you to just stretch your imagination a little bit more because I want you to imagine for a moment that I am the Apostle Paul and that Seth is the men of Athens and we'll do a little role play. Men of Athens, I know that you are learned men and we are surrounded by art and beauty. Let me ask you, have any of these things brought you satisfaction or any hope for the future? I think not. I have traveled to bring you good news, to tell you that there is one true God, the God who created the universe, the sun, the moon, the stars, all the natural beauty that you see around you, a God who is supreme, all-powerful, almighty, a God who rules and reigns from heaven. So, man of words, what is he like, this God of yours? Should we compare him to Zeus, or perhaps to Aphrodite? <laughs> no, 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 he is a God whose nature is love. He is pure and holy, light and truth. There are no shifting shadows in him. He is not capricious like these man-made gods. His character is unchanging, therefore he can be trusted. How can you be so certain of this? I'm certain because God sent his son into the world. His name is Jesus. He lived on the earth for 33 years. And during that time, he performed many miracles, stilling storms, healing the sick, raising the dead, teaching the people all about his father. He lived a perfect life and showed us who the father God is. In fact, if everything that he did was written down, the world could not contain the books. So, babbler, first you say there is one God, then you say he has a son. Make up your mind, which is right? You're not making any sense at all. It is true. God is one God, but in three persons, a trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all with the same nature and characteristics, but with different functions. We have finite minds. God is infinite. He is not like us. He is other, and some things cannot easily be understood by human reasoning. You understand that water has the chemical property H2O, and yet comes in three different forms, ice, steam, liquid. In essence, all the same, and yet different in form. Well, you say this God that you speak of is holy and all-powerful. How can we be sure that he won't punish us? How can we know that he will forgive us and accept us into his heaven? When his son, Jesus Christ, came to the earth, he was crucified, taking on himself all of the punishment for the sins of all men, so that every person might have the opportunity to know God for himself and to know God's forgiveness. What? Now you're telling us this God is dead? How can he help us? What kind of good news is this? 
It is good news. In fact, it's marvelous news. Because after three days in the tomb, the Lord Jesus rose from the dead. He conquered death. He made a way for all who put their trust in him to have eternal life in heaven with him and with his Father. The good news is that Jesus is alive. He appeared in the flesh to his followers in Jerusalem and then to more than 500 people. But gentlemen, I must warn you today that the Lord Jesus himself said that whoever believes in him is not condemned before God on the day of judgment. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Hmm. We will hear more of this later. Now, even to the superstitious Athenians, the thought of someone coming back to life after they died was difficult to take in. But it is of utmost importance to Christianity. We do not worship a dead saviour. The Apostle Paul himself said, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. I'd like to tell you something that happened this year. Um, which sounds a little bit odd, but I'm just going to tell you it exactly as it happened. In our ladies' cafe group, we use film clips and then we discuss the questions around the tables. And I was presenting the cafe in June and we used a film about time travel. So the point of it was that, you know, we're looking at people who traveled backwards and forwards in time on the film, but then just saying that actually you can't travel back in time, that time is going in a straight line and eventually, for each one of us, it will come to an end. And we shared that Christians are not afraid of that, that we have hope and confidence in eternal life because of the resurrection of Jesus. And I just said at the end that Jesus is alive and it's possible to have a relationship with him. But as I was driving home, I was troubled with all kinds of afterthoughts. Should I have said a bit more? Should we have had another question? Did the people really understand what we just said? So I was just a little bit chewed up about it. And then I was getting ready for bed, and I've got an iPod with headphones. And it's next to the bed. Now, I hardly ever use it, because to be honest, I've, got, I've never ever put any music on it. I only have sermon podcasts on it. And I really prefer to listen to them on the computer. So it's only if I go on holiday, or occasionally if I couldn't sleep, I would put these things on. So. I hadn't touched it at all. I hadn't used it, I hadn't touched it. But I became aware as I was getting ready, I could hear a faint sound of music. And I thought, where's that music coming from? So I went over and I realized it was coming from the headphones. So I picked them up and I put them on. And it was a woman singing over and over again, Jesus is alive, Jesus is alive, he has risen. Now, I realized afterwards that it was a sermon from Willow Creek at Easter, but that and this woman was singing at the end of it. But I mean, I hadn't touched the iPod. And I just think now, what are the chances of that happening? What? You know, I mean, the fact that the iPod was switched on, nobody had touched it, and never put any music on it. How did it get to exactly that spot that the woman was singing about Jesus being alive when I'm thinking, did I say enough about the resurrection? And I just thought, God was at the cafe. And it was all right. Which is a further confirmation 
at the centrality of the resurrection of Jesus to the Christian faith. It's about the resurrection. It's about Jesus being alive today. And the good news is that that same offer of salvation is available in every generation. And it's not just for the academics. It's not just for the people with degrees. You don't need a GCSE to become a Christian. God made the way open for all who will put their trust in Jesus. And we're saved by faith and not by good works. When I was young, I went to Sunday school. I knew the Bible stories. I knew that Jesus had come down to the earth, been born in a stable, lived and died and gone back to heaven. What I didn't realize until I was 37 was that Jesus is still alive and that it is possible to have a relationship with him today. Now, we don't know from the verses that we've read today how these Athenians responded. Got to wait for another couple of weeks. But you can read ahead to the next few verses and you will find out that some of them sneered, but others wanted to know more. The important thing is that you're here today and how will you respond? Think it's not for you? Think you might sneer at this? Or do you think perhaps, like the Athenians, you might like to know more about it? There are people here today who would love to talk to you and would love to explain a little bit more. So do, do stay and have a chat with somebody and find out how you can get to know the one true God. This is the end of this message. We hope you enjoyed it. If you want to find out more about our church, please visit www.chowdean.org.uk and please take a minute to rate our podcast on iTunes.